Get ready to start your new morning ritual with our new sponsor, Mudwater. Coffee is one of America's favorite beverages, with more and more people starting their coffee habits every day with a cup of that flavorful anxiety juice. But let's be real. Have you ever heard anyone say, I'm working on getting more coffee into my life? Millions of people complain about the jitters that come from coffee consumption. Our morning coffee rituals can be habit-forming and, for some people, can make getting a good night's sleep almost impossible. And while nearly all of us like the smell, taste, and ritual of our morning coffee, why not explore eliminating the negative aspects of our morning brew? Well, what if your coffee replacement helped induce alertness, not dependency, improve mental capacity and function, improve physical stamina and performance, improve immunity and overall health. Oh, and by the way, it tastes good enough to drink every single day. Meet Mudwater. Mudwater is your fastest growing coffee alternative in the market, consisting of organic ingredients lauded by cultures both old and young for their health and performance benefits. With one-seventh the caffeine of coffee, Mud gives you the natural energy and focus you expect from coffee, but without the jitters and crash. With an organic blend of mushrooms and ingredients like cacao, marsala chai, turmeric, lion's mane, and more, Mud Water offers a beverage like no other. Whether you want to enjoy it hot, cold, as a latte, or however you take your coffee in the morning, Mud Water is zero sugar, zero crash, zero jitter alternative, sure to leave you feeling recharged and refocused. Listen, I'm really excited to have Mud Water as a sponsor here on The Brian Nichols Show because I've been able to see the Mud Water difference for myself, and you can too, so click the link in the show notes to get some mud, support the show, and get your new morning ritual started right with Mud Water. And now, onto the show. Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Happy Monday, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Can't believe it. We're already over halfway through the month of January 2021. Yeah, of course, we're already uh, off to a a quick start. And uh, yeah, coming up in, what, two days? Uh, officially a new president, Joe Biden, will officially be sworn in. So, uh, you know, obviously, right now, there's a time of great uncertainty in the world, and I think a lot of people are looking to see, well, what what do we do? Like, you know, in, in the event that stuff hits the fan, <laughs> to, to, put it, to put it mildly, right? And I think you're starting to see a lot of folks realizing across the board that government doesn't do, well, what, a lot, <laughs> a lot well, uh, uh, really, at all. And today's guest, or Maya Fanayan, is uh, joining because... They noticed that there was a, a, a really a lack of support from the government in terms of protecting those in the LGBTQ community. Uh, and with that, Ermaya decided to take things into her own hands. And with that, became the director of SLC Pink Pistols, focusing on arming those folks in the LGBT community. So... Now, I'm going to say, we do drift off a little bit from the conversation, and it ends up going more towards Ermaya's uh, proposals, that is, leaning more towards a left-leaning uh, approach to economics. Now, obviously, we at the Brian Nichols Show don't necessarily agree with that, but I thought it was good for Ermaya to, you know, at least go through and express her, her thoughts. So, you know, I, I wanted to say, well, we don't necessarily agree when it comes to the economic perspectives. I think it was a good conversation there, but I, I definitely, definitely, definitely encourage you folks to, uh, to really... Uh, support missions like Pink Pistols and, and helping arm folks out there who really are, are the folks that need to be making sure that they are defended against a possibly tyrannical government whenever it really comes down to it. So, with that being said, on to the show, Ermaya Fanayan here on The Brian Nichols Show. 
Well, thank you, Ryan, for having me on. I'm excited to be on. Oh, I'm so excited to have you on. Armia, you are the co-founder of March for Our Lives Utah, and also you are the director of the SLC Pink Pistols. Now, I'm, I hear that. I'm instantly like, wow, that's fascinating because <laughs> a lot of people think of March for Our Lives. They think of that as more of a, I would say, a gun control approach, right, versus trying to actually bring, I think, more minorities or more folks out there to the rights that they actually, they should be acting upon, that is, their Second Amendment rights. So, Ermia, what got you to start out into leading this organization in an area that I think, traditionally, we are not finding many people uh, leading the charge, and that is in more of the, uh, the, the gun control advocates? Absolutely. I mean, so... Uh, you know, to answer your question, um, what got me to kind of leading this charge is, you know, understanding this kind of communal need for my community to arm themselves. Um, you know, I kind of, you know, found in March for Our Lives Utah, I, I for, for years and years was a gun lobby, uh, or gun control lobbyist. And, you know, during that time, it was kind of really difficult because even though I was working closely with so many different politicians who were helping us in regards to gun control initiatives. Um, there was, those were still the same politicians who kind of weren't doing anything in regards to violence against my communities. Um, individual socially sanctioned violence was everlasting and ever growing um, in the trans community um, and violence against us was ever growing. Um, and that's kind of something that needed to be addressed. And a lot of these politicians not only were not addressing these issues, they were uh, giving our attackers a slap on the wrist and letting them go uh, free to attack more trans women. Um, and so my years and years kind of, you know, spending time in the gun control movement, I began to realize this really quickly. Um, and I began to study this and um, kind of understand this more and more as I was working with the two different movements. Um, and that's kind of how I came to this understanding that, you know what, it's it's time for, for us to, to arm ourselves. The police aren't protecting us. Our politicians aren't protecting us. The state isn't protecting us. It's time for us to take our protection and our safety into our own hands. Um, and that's kind of how you got me uh, pulled into the Second Amendment fight. And so here I am. Which is, which is fascinating, right? So when you're you're talking to people, I think we're seeing more and more this desire uh, for folks to want to real. Oh, it's more of a it's more of a realization. Let's start from this, Ermey. Right? People are realizing that the government isn't necessarily as much as we want to be the actor that's going to go out there and always be able to accomplish whatever goal that we set forth. And I think we're seeing right now a lot of people starting to realize that even though we can have the the you know best of intentions, that when it comes down to actually getting these intentions into policy and then from policy into practice, we, we seem we see the government often more often than not drops the ball. So it's interesting, right? Because we didn't even discuss your your politics or whatnot. But it's interesting because just from your own perspective, you you were able to see that firsthand that government isn't looking out for you. They're not looking out for your best interest or your community's best best interest. And, and actually, to the contrary, in many cases, to your point, they incentivize those uh, out there to make it so it's even more dangerous for for your your. It's just insane. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's the realization that the government is not protecting us. And, you know, 
when a lot of people look at different mass shootings, which is the first thing that they've always brought up to me, you know, now that I'm in the Second Amendment movement, um, they say, you know what? Well, Ermia, how did your your stance change, right? Like, how do you go from understanding that there is a serious problem with mass shootings and continuous gun violence, and you're not you're not kind of taking that into consideration? And for me, you know, I always say to them, the fact is, I understand it to be not this kind of gun issue. I understand it to be a failure of the state. Um, I think it's a failure of law enforcement. Um, I think it's a failure of the state to be able to protect us in regards to um, preventing criminals from accessing these different kinds of weapons and attacking people with them. Um, and, you know, for me, I'm, I'm still very much leftist. And that's something a lot of people don't get is, yes, I am still very much um, incredibly left. And I'm a leftist who is pro-guns. And, um, you know, I understand it to be a, a failure of the police because we on the left understand the failures of law enforcement in America. And um, that's something that I understand in my own advocacy. I understand that it's, you know, when we look at mass shootings, when we look at um, attacks against queer and trans people, it's it's the law enforcement's failure. The law enforcement is failing to protect these folks, um, which is not just a reason for us to be able to arm ourselves, but also another reason for us to be able to um, bring about police abolition as well. Um, and with police abolition, a lot of folks on the left don't understand with that, it means that we have to begin protecting ourselves as a community on our own basis, um, which largely includes arming ourselves. So I mean, yeah, absolutely. We're kind of finally um, awakening to this understanding. <laughs> As a, I mean, I'm, I'm actually curious, right? Because, and again, we didn't even discuss your politics until you, you kind of were like, hey, you know, by the way, I'm a left. And that's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm curious because this is more libertarian leading podcast, right? And a lot of my guests tend to be more the libertarian camp. And when I have folks come on the show, especially um, folks who are from more of the left sympathies, and then we, we start to have these conversations. And I realize that, you know, you came to this, you know, pro-gun community uh, position on your own because of your realizing where the, the state was was failing and, and failing so so miserably. So I'm, I'm always curious, right? You, you see the failures in, in that example, but then I, I would look, let's, you know, apply that to a larger scale. You know, I, I, I as a libertarian, I say, you know, I see the exact same failures that you identify, but I would say we even see it more so in the, you know, the do-good uh, programs that the government does. So you talk about, you know, our war on poverty or, you know, the war on drugs, all these these wars on something that's supposed to make things better. But I don't know. We don't see them inevitably get too much better. So I'm just curious, you know, why is it do you, you believe that maybe you're going to be able to get government to, in, in, I guess, in a more or less way, be good government versus what we've unfortunately seen over the past, you know, ever? Yeah, I mean, for many of us on the left, we don't trust governments entirely, right? Um, I believe that governments, um, to its fullest extent, should be able to do what it can and to put power into the hands of the people. Um, so you talk about, you know, welfare programs and these different programs. And of course, we're going to be touching on, you know, socialism when we get to that. With that, you're, you're probably talking about how the left is engaged and promotes socialism. Um, 
Yes. Well, you know, the fact is, I think that the government should should do what they can to implement these socialist policies. I believe it is the government's job to ensure that our health care is not profitized. It's not ran by billionaires who simply want to make a profit off of people's backs. Um, I believe that our housing, our education, um, our employment is not, um, you know, super centered and focused on owners and those who are a part of elitist bourgeois classes, but instead is focused on workers and the working class. Um, the government has been this huge uh, obstacle in that because the government has done what it can to favor corporations, to favor the elitist ruling class, um, to put these corporate upper class interests above working class Americans. Um, we see this when we look at our healthcare system, which is incredibly privatized and profitized. Um, we see this with our housing, which is incredibly um, profitized and uh, capitalized because we value this notion of ownership in America instead of um, collective need and necessities based economic systems. Um, so for me, you know, our government, we, we understand its failures to the fullest extent, and by no means do we really trust government. Um, but it is the government's job to not create these continuous obstacles that would stop the people from having the power in our hands, um, is what I would say in regards to how I view the government's role. So then I got to ask the, the million dollar question, right? And this, I got to play devil's advocate because that's my job. Um, but how then do we hold government accountable? And I ask that, right? Because we're recording here today um, on, on the 7th of January and we're a day removed from uh, which was, you know, a crazy scene at the Capitol building uh, where we're seeing, I would say, a lot of people starting to realize again that the government is very easily uh, put into people's hands in, in for better or for worse. And, and I think we're starting to see that, well, what happens when government goes astray? You know, there's no, there's no real other conflicting government, if you will, to like compete to make the government get better other than what voting. So I guess I'm curious, how, how can you keep the government focused, right? We have 50 very diverse states from Canada, or from Canada, my goodness, from California <laughs> to New York to Florida and Alaska. How do we get this, you know, good government that's not going to go astray, but also when it does go astray, that you guys are going to be able to bring it back on track? You know, the fact is that our government has loads and loads and loads and loads and years of corruption. Corruption is well and alive in government as it is with so many different governing bodies, as we see that aren't just government. Um, it is very difficult. It is this kind of million dollar question that a lot of folks have been trying to figure out, you know, how do we hold government accountable? When we look at our founding fathers and what they've established, they have established these laws that would, uh, you know, you know, uh, uh, uphold checks and balances and uphold the ability to hold government accountable. That is why they, they wanted so many layers of government, the executive, the legislative, the judicial, so that there's not just one entity that has so much power over an entire nation. Um, that's why they've created systems like impeachment and um, the removal of offices. That's why they've created these systems. But the fact is, as we have seen, um, it is difficult because politics comes into play, right? Um, holding our government accountable is one thing. 
getting the people to um, agree upon what in me, what needs to be held accountable and what it is that we have to ensure doesn't stay well and alive in our government is a whole nother conversation. And for me, I believe that, you know, the reason we haven't been able to do so is because we don't agree upon what it is that they need to be held to account. You know, we as leftists will say, well, when Donald Trump loses and when he um, is voted out of office, uh, he can't just throw a tantrum and say, well, no, I think ballots are fraudulent. Um, he needs to be able to to follow our laws and follow these systems that were established that uh, keep this kind of accountability and checks and balances in place. Um, and we see that with other elected officials. You know, there are elected officials who will never even meet with their constituents who won't even live in their state and will simply, you know, visit them only when, go, when they're on cable news. Um, this is not how government was, was intended to be here in the United States as it was initially established. Um, but it is now. And, and, and the fact is we have far too many people who are okay with that, who have become complacent with that and think that um, just because it may be the person who is a part of their party just because it's a person who aligns with the labels and the understandings and the and the politics that they align with, that there shouldn't be any kind of government accountability there. Um, but the fact is, we need to continue holding government accountable regardless. So for those folks, the now right the the folks out there, what seventy some odd million? I forget the number officially, but they they are out there. The Trump voters, right? They're they're still out there and. They're not, I would say they're not going quietly into the night, right? So I, I would ask you, I guess in that case, what about the folks who say no? You know, to the folks that say, well, we don't want this socialist, uh, you know, idea or this socialist quote unquote takeover of America that we've heard so much about, right? What what to those folks? I mean, do do we just say, hey, suck it up, buttercup? Or, I mean, what if they say no to that? You know, what what's the, uh, I guess, the end game, if you will? Well, I think a lot of times, you know, from my understanding, the reason people say no to a socialist society is because of propaganda that they have been fed um, by United States history textbooks, United States education, United States government for decades on what a socialist society is and what it looks like. When you explain, you know, basic socialist economic principles to everyday working class people who, you know, aren't so affiliated with political um movements and political affiliation, um, they are completely largely in support of it. They are largely in support of this notion that housing is a human right and people should have shelter and that we shouldn't favor landlords over the homeless. They are largely in favor of this notion that healthcare is a human right. And when people are dying, we shouldn't put the needs and the wants of uh, corporate healthcare billionaires above ours. Um, they understand these things because the fact is these are basic um, power to the people principles, which a lot of Trump supporters and, you know, even though we don't agree with the same goals, are in favor of. They're in favor of power to the people. Um, and a lot of them just don't kind of, they kind of just don't understand the concept that a socialist society would do that. It would put the ultimate power in the hands of the people. Um, they have been fed continuous propaganda by corporate media by um, healthcare profiteers, by folks who are part of elitist ruling class, um, because they have class interests. They have class interests in place that want to ensure they will spread as much propaganda as possible so that regular folks don't 
um, cling on to the idea so that when regular folks hear me call myself a socialist, they think I'm some kind of crazy militant. Um, but the fact is that a socialist society is what will ultimately put the hands in the power of the people. And it's that kind of principle and that kind of explaining uh, um, that uh, teaching our, our, our everyday communities that will get them to understand that um, after years of, of being against it. There's so I, I'm going to confess, right? I, I disagree and that's okay. But I think it's interesting, right? Because what you're speaking towards in terms of the, I guess your approach is actually very much in line with what we're seeing in the libertarian side of things. And that is kind of this, there's, there's a group of folks who are much more open to hitting this, this economic populist message um, that I think you're, you're tapping into, right? This, this idea of the, there should be no billionaires, um, you know, healthcare is a right, rent is a, or, uh, housing is a human right, and so, so on and so forth, right? The, the human right arguments. I, I think you're seeing now more of that on even the right. You see that the Tucker Carlson's, the Josh Hawley's, they're much more in favor with that type of argument than I would say you would see a traditional Tea Party Republican just 10 years ago. So it's interesting because you're kind of approaching from the same perspective. But how about this? As we, we do go to wrap up the uh, the rest of the show here, let's go back to focusing on the, the main issue uh, that I, <laughs> I want you to have you on here for, uh, and that is back to the Second Amendment, right? And, and focusing right. on this common ground. Because on my show, believe it or not, we don't like to just dig in and focus on the disagreements, but rather where we can find those common agreements and, and that common ground. So when you're looking right here at the Second Amendment and the prospects of the Second Amendment going forward, it's interesting, right? We have Joe Biden and I'd say the leading Democrats are actually quite opposed to, you know, the the pro Second Amendment rights that you are actually in favor of now. So I'm, I'm curious, right? You being a, you know, in more left leaning politics, it must feel like a win to have Joe Biden and the Associated Democrats, right? But do you feel like maybe you also had a little bit of a loss because now the Second Amendment is actually going to be looked at much more aggressively, especially considering it holds up that the Democrats win Georgia? You know, <laughs> this is a question I get a lot. And the fact is, yeah, there is a bit of a loss there because as we have seen, the Democratic Party has, and it's no secret, it's been incredibly tough on guns and incredibly tough when it comes to gun control. Um, this is something that I'm obviously very against and the pink pistols are very against as an organization. So yes, there is this loss there because Joe Biden does not agree with arming the people and arming working class communities. Um, and that is something that I hope would finally kind of stop. I hope that when we move forward, um, the Democratic Party can begin seeing policies that would be more so in favor of the people. And, you know, in the past, the two-party system has not done so. Um, but I want the Democratic Party to understand, you know, arming people is the way to go. It's and, and, and I should have a right as a working class person to protect myself and my family and my communities. Um, and so even though, yes, I agree with so many other policies of his, uh, that that is a policy that I felt like was a loss in this election um, for me personally. 
Well, Ermia, I think uh, at the very least, right, we we can come to this common agreement here that, yes, I full-throatedly endorse the idea of arming everybody because I think an armed America is a polite America at the very least. So with that being said, obviously, I want I want folks to be able to, if they're interested in learning more, ought to be able to go ahead and follow all the work you are doing. doing. So Ermia, what is uh, the best social media for folks to, uh, to go ahead and follow, which I'll be sure, of course, to include in the show notes? Awesome. Yeah. You can please follow, um, you can follow my personal account, Ermia Fanayan, E-R-M-I-Y-A-F-A-N-A-E-I-A-N. And please follow our Pink Pistols account, which is just Pink Pistols, then SLC on Instagram. Um, please follow us. If you want to join, uh, send us a message. Um, joining is incredibly open and easy. There's no kind of gatekeeping or bureaucratic procedure you have to go through. And we would, we would love to have you and have you kind of learn about our organization. Alrighty, Ermia Frenayan, thank you so much for joining the Brian Nichols Show. With that, folks, if you're interested in going ahead, make sure I, I check out the uh, the show notes. I'll include all the links to check out Ermia and all the awesome work that they're doing over at all the amazing organizations, including Pink Pistols. So, with that being said, Ermia Frenayan, thank you so much for joining the Brian Nichols Show. Kurtz, thank you. Thanks for having me. Before we wrap up, I want to tell you about an amazing new podcast. You longtime listeners of The Brian Nichols Show know him well, and that is one Brad Palumbo in his stellar new program, Breaking Boundaries. Join Brad as he interviews top writers, politicians, and thinkers from all across the political spectrum to give you a new perspective you won't find in the mainstream liberal media or right-wing echo chambers. From guests like Rand Paul to Glenn Greenwald, Brad is having conversations and focusing on issues that are driving America with the people who are in the driver's seats. So... Head over to your favorite podcast app, hit subscribe, strap in, and be prepared for some wild food takes like Rand Paul and his grand mayonnaise conspiracy. Again, that's Breaking Boundaries with Brad Palumbo, available in your favorite podcasting app today. Alrighty, folks, that's going to wrap up my conversation with Ermaya Finney, and I will include the links to all of Ermaya's social media in the show notes. Please make sure you're going ahead and supporting organizations like Pink Pistols. And if you enjoyed episodes like today's episode, well, do me a favor, go ahead and share with some family and friends. Also, folks, please go out of your way. If you guys get value out of uh, the show, well, two things. Number one, please support the uh, the sponsors here of the Brian Nichols Show, including, but not limited to, folks like Ebel's Mudwater, Proud Libertarian, which have awesome, awesome teas. And if you have not had the chance to check out your awesome do good recklessly or repeal 1913 T's. Well, make sure you go ahead to a proud libertarian. Use code TBNS at checkout and you will get 10% off your order. Uh, and yes, if you use code TBNS at all of our sponsors, you will make sure you get a, a nice little uh, snazzy discount there at checkout, depending on the sponsor and what we have worked out there. So make sure uh, you are, again, supporting our sponsors. And number two, if you get value here on the Brian Nichols Show, please do me a favor and head over to your podcast catcher and give us a five-star rating and review. Tell folks why it is that you come to The Brian Nichols Show every single week and listen to three phenomenal episodes, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I appreciate you guys going ahead and uh, and telling me. <laughs> I love hearing why it is that you guys are members of the audience, and I know uh, I love reading uh, your your reviews on, on air, so make sure you uh, tune in on Friday, hear your reviews. Come up here on Wednesday, though. Uh, Wednesday, we're going to be doing a one-on-one conversation, a solo episode, you and me, audience member, and a member of the audience. We are talking about sales, selling liberty, and talking about some basic principles of selling and how we can apply those principles of selling to politics specifically talking about that in selling liberty so folks it was an absolutely 
fantastic time here on The Brian Nichols Show. A great conversation with our Maya Finance, so do me a favor, folks. Please share with me and friends. Follow me on social media at Liberty, Twitter, Facebook, and Minds.com. And otherwise, folks, email me, Brian, at BrianNicholsShow.com. But with that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off. You're in The Brian Nichols Show for Ermaya Fanan. We'll see you Wednesday. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at BrianNicholsShow.com.